Happy Sober Saturday to my sober family out there. Today is June 4th, 2022, day number 107 for this guy, actually for these guys, because that's my sober spirit animal, Al, Al K. Hallfrey. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome to the show. I'm honored to be here with you as your host, uh, starting today with uh, some uh, kind of sad news that, uh, uh, but but it's the right, it's the right thing. Uh, Austin, uh, let me know that she has so much going on in her life right now between her new full-time job, her full-time school. She is still recovering from her surgery last month and has been just in an astronomical amount of pain with her physical therapy and everything. Um, she said she needs to, you know, thanks, you know, thanks for the opportunity, but she needs to bow out of the podcast. I told her that, you know, screw the podcast, screw everyone except for you, because we all love you and we just want you to do what's best for you and for your sobriety. And so Austin is modeling for us how to take care of yourself and how to prioritize correctly. So of course, I'm kind of like, oh man, because it was so much fun. And she said she had so much fun. And I know you guys and gals have had so much fun listening to us. Um, but she's just been sick and, and like on top of the, she's just had so much going on. And, um, I know deep down that that is the right decision for her for right now, but Austin, you always have an open seat on this show, uh, two open seats, one for you and one for Bernie. And, uh, just know how much we love and respect you. If you would like to stay connected with Austin, please, please go to her Instagram. She is at, she is at sober.asa, A-S-A. And then she's also got her link tree posted there, which I'll try to remember to post in the comments to this episode so that you can keep up with her on her blog and uh, her various other accounts. So with that being said, uh, oh, and I forgot to say happy 90 days to Austin because she just hit that incredible milestone yesterday. Uh, and we are so very proud of you. She did this really raw and real post on a real she did a really real real late last night uh late on friday night to to commemorate her 90th day sober and uh i'll just let austin you know i, I don't want to speak for her if you want to know how she's thinking and feeling go see her there and you're going to find she is one of the most real people that i have ever met and my goal in life is just to be a genuine person just to be real and when i'm a hot mess to just be a hot mess. And uh, I'm learning how to be uh, kind to myself in those things. I think that's the difference is now um, I'm trying to be genuinely kind to myself, not just, you know, perfunctory, like I'm supposed to, oh yeah, I'm supposed to, I'm a good dude or whatever. Like I never really believed it, but it's taken people like Austin and so many others in our sober family on Instagram through our reframe app and just the incredible people that we've met um, in our first few months of being sober that have made all the difference in the world. So this is episode number 17, and it is about shame. It's the third episode in the series on the itty bitty shitty committee, which again is a term that we learned from our recovery coach on the reframe app named Nikita. <laughs> listen, Nikita's fantastic. And you need to go listen to episode three of this here little show if you'd like to uh, see where um, Austin and I and so many of our guests have um, 
gained our inspiration. Not every guest has been a reframer, but uh, just it's just such a neat community. And we are coached and mentored and loved uh, by these beautiful coaches, Nikita, and, and several other really beautiful souls. So um, Nikita coined this, or, or I don't know if she coined it, but she shared it with us in a, in a uh, daily Zoom call one day on the, our recovery app. And, you know, she talked about that. And the more I thought about it, this was very early um, in my, I was probably like at day 10 or 20. And it was just before I had decided to start the podcast, I think. And um, it dawned on me, it might've been right after I started. I don't know. I don't know. But like it dawned on me that the three members of the itty bitty shitty committee are embarrassment, guilt, and shame for me. Those are words that just kept coming up in my own therapy at the VA over the last five years. And so the, the first member of the committee, if you're just tuning in is Barry, he is the secretary of embarrassment and he diligently records all kinds of things that we've done in the past present and uh, even the stuff that we, maybe there's such a thing as pre-embarrassment. You're like, I know I'm going to, well, I know I'm going to screw this up. Or you, you tell yourself that you're going to screw something up and you're already embarrassed about the aftermath. At least I know I've done that um, when I was drinking. And uh, the second member is Gil, who we talked about in episode 16. He is the treasurer of the committee. And Gil takes all those notes, all those little nuggets from Barry and he puts them in his guilt bin. I talked about Uncle Scrooge on DuckTales. And I'm like, <laughs> it's like, Gil's like, yeah, me, me guilt bin. And he boing, like, and dives into it and makes a splash of all this crap. Gil, Gil's a dirtbag. He's a filthy, filthy kind of guy. Uh, and yes, they are all, um, all men. Austin and I were joking about that when we started this series. <laughs> they're all dudes. Let's just be honest. They're, they're in the boardroom. Uh, and... <laughs> <laughs> they haven't come around yet. Uh, let's see. So here we are. Today, you're going to meet the chairman of the committee. His name is Seamus. He is the, he presides over all of the shame that comes from the embarrassment and the guilt. Uh, Seamus is the master. The reason he was promoted to chairman of the committee out of just being like a sort of an unholy trinity of peers, he is the, he's the chief dude, the chief justice of the, of the whatever, of, of the, the shitty court, the, the chairman of the shitty committee. And he um, will take all that stuff and just combine it. And just, man, he's like the guy that comes in and is trying to deliver the knockout punch to you because embarrassment is like, ah, man, I just, I just hit myself or whatever. And then guilt is like, man, I'm like hitting myself left and right. Like I've done that again. And I'm like, God, I'm so stupid. It's like Chris Farley in that, that episode of Saturday Night Live in the mid, mid 90s where he's with Patrick Swayze. Where he's like, hey, you remember when, when you're in this movie or whatever? And he's like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh God, I'm such an idiot. And he looks, like that's been me for so much of my life. That's guilt. Guilt's come in and is like, no, 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 no. You don't have this after all. You know, you can kind of recover on your own from embarrassment. You're like, okay, I'll just pick myself back up and I'll move on, whether it's from something alcohol related or not. But you can sort of like function through embarrassment. The guilt's where it starts to be a bit of a slog and you start to get in like the mud and the muck and it slows you down and you're like, oh, you're just... It's just, bleh. I think that's the right word <laughs> or right sound for uh, what Gil does to us uh, when we get stuck in that guilt bin. And then Seamus, you know, he calls 
the committee into session. And then the three of them together, led by Seamus, are just, woo, they're coming in to load you down so you'll start to sink. Because Seamus's message to you is, well, Barry's message was, hey, you screwed up and you should be embarrassed. Gil's message is, <laughs> look how many times you've screwed up and really you should uh, be more than embarrassed. You should feel guilty about this now um, and not the healthy kind of guilt that makes you, uh, or the healthy kind of regret that makes you go, man, I really, okay, it's time to make a change, right? When you, when you start listening to both of those, which we all have and which I still struggle with, then Seamus comes in and he's like, oh, no, 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 it's way worse than that. You're a failure as a person. And I'm gonna talk to you about how much I've listened to Seamus in my life. I'm ashamed to say how much I've listened to Seamus. This is a perfect episode, right? Listen, I think the first time I ever really, like I grew up with lots of high expectations. Uh, my parents told me I could dig ditches for a living and I know they meant it, but you know, I was the first one in my family to go to college because my uh, very ordinary average mom and pop, you know, worked a lot and uh neither of them had, they were high school graduates that had taken a few college courses but he was sort of like the perennial underachiever he, he was just the coolest dude and he was my best buddy um i was his only and uh so when he died at uh when i was 19 he was 55 uh that was really awful and you know led to some of the shame stuff that i'll talk about later on i guess um but uh you know mom and dad were just your average people they told me you can do whatever you want. And uh, I've, I've done whatever I want. I've been so uh, blessed and, and lucky or w whatever it is uh, to be able to grow up in a great home, go to a great college prep school because they, you know, drove beater cars and we didn't go on big fancy vacations for years so that I could get a scholarship to college. And then between that and ROTC, I was able to commission into the U.S. Army 20 years ago uh, today actually. And so that's going to be part of the shame conversation today too. This commission is an active duty infantry officer. Uh, by that point in summer of 02, we all knew that um, like Operation Anaconda had kicked off that spring in Afghanistan. I mean, the, the Rangers and special forces guys had all jumped in to Afghanistan the previous fall right after 9-11. So we knew that something bigger was coming, uh, not just in Afghanistan, but by then it became clear that, you know, the war fever had kind of grasped, <laughs> grabbed all of the, uh, the stars and stripes you know, the, the righteous anger of 9-11, and we all kind of knew that we're, it's almost like we were looking for a fight. I won't go into the politics of it. Sorry. Like, we, we knew we were going to go to Iraq. So um, I trained the infantry officer basic course, and then I went to ranger school in the spring, winter and spring of 2003. Now, when I started ranger school in the middle of January of 03, we thought, all of my, my peers and I thought that we either go to ranger school and we get a ranger tab, which in the army you wear on your left shoulder, uh, black and gold in a half moon shape as the, uh, as I remember a good buddy of mine singing a cadence in ROTC. Um, like I went there again with high expectations. It was like, I had been the cadet battalion commander in ROTC. And if you've seen heartbreak, oh, well, Gunny, I don't know if commander told you, but I was the commander of my ROTC detachment in college. It's like, Clint Eastwood's like, I'll sleep better at night knowing that, sir. But, you know, I had been the student council president in high school and the, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Like your, your classic overachieving, perfectionistic, people pleasing, um, you know, brown noser. I mean, I, I think, I think I was, I just, I, I got addicted to praise 
And as an ADHD person now, I'm, which was not diagnosed and I wish would have been, although maybe I wouldn't have been admitted into the military. So all things, you know, work out in the end, but um, an ADHD brain craves praise. And that's what I'm learning about myself here in midlife. I hope it's midlife. I, you know, I'm trying to extend longer than the 55 years that, that my dad lived because it broke my heart when he died and it broke his heart too. Cause he knew that the cigarettes, the 40 years of smoking over 40 years of smoking killed is what killed him. Uh, but my dad was the finest man I've ever known. And, um, I want to be that kind of guy. And so I've been, managed to break the, break the generational stuff on the, uh, smoking, but not the alcohol. And again, back to ranger school, sorry, trying to give you the like story of my shameful, the, the shame story of my life, um, started with ranger school is the first time I really failed something. Now I did graduate, but I took the four month option. It's normally a 60 ish day course. Um, and it's pretty intense. It's in three phases. You don't eat enough. You don't sleep enough. And, um, I found that winter when I was, uh, cold, wet, tired, and hungry, I, it was the first time I had legitimately been out on field exercises where I, I didn't at least have enough to eat. And, um, you know, I started losing money or I started losing money. I started losing weight and I started to get down on myself. And like, I would be on these, in these leadership positions on patrols and you get graded there. And I just would, I just didn't do a great job. I was really for the first time in my life failing and I knew it. And there was one night in mountain phase that I'm particularly ashamed of when um, I knew I needed to go. And the platoon leader, I was a squad leader and the platoon leader made this tactical decision to send me somewhere that I was like, I politely, hey, please don't send me to do this because I need to be over here with my squad. And he's like, no, I'm the platoon leader. You go do what I think. Okay, got it. Well, while I was out looking for some guys that we had lost radio contact with, they assaulted through the objective. And by the time I made it back, my squad's like, where were you? And, you know, I can't explain to them, like I get ordered. It was just, I, I, you know, I did what I was told, but we got to the patrol base that night and I shut down guys in my, in my squad were practically fist fighting. It was, it was a disaster. And I just sat down and started eating my meal, uh, the, my meal for the day that I'd been looking forward to. And I just, I, I basically quit on them and I got peered as a result. I got horrible peer evaluations. I deserved it. I also had failed spot reports. I had done stupid stuff like forgetting my weapon again, ADHD signature of the ADHD there a long time ago that is starting to make more sense now. Um, and had, you know, messed something up and I'd forgotten something else that got my, my squad mate, a no-go on his patrol. And so I got peered, but because Ranger school is a numbers game, um, I got forwarded to the next phase because I did have a go from a previous mission that went great. I, I did have one mission where I was a weapon squad leader. And it was like, if you're a veteran, you're listening, the guns were talking. It was like, and I remember like, you know, there weren't any jams or anything, or when they were like the guys, they just did a great job. And I remember the instructor standing back and be like, mm, yeah. And uh, so I think that probably is what led to me quitting on the, the second. Like, well, I'm pretty sure I've got my goals. This one's a train wreck, whatever. But I mean, then I got peered and I deserved it. So I'm rambling a long time about this because this is such a core, the, like this is the real first, what I would call a failure in my life. Even though I fell, failed forward or fell forward through it because I got to the next fit, the last phase in Florida. And then my knees started blowing up with cellulitis. I had a stress fracture in my left foot that I'd been nursing since the middle of the mountain phase. Cause you're wearing 85 pounds or so on your back every day. 
depending on what you're carrying and you're walking up and down the mountains of the Tennessee Valley Divide. And so by the time you get to the swamps of Florida Bays in the Panhandle um, and Eglin Air Force Base, you're just totally beaten down. And so um, kind of the same thing, like I needed a go, except this time I knew I did not have a go on my first patrol. It had not gone well. And so this second patrol, it was almost towards the end. It was like the next to last night. I just needed to make it through like 48 more hours, 30, 36 more hours. And I knew that these were kind of like the legendary, like movement to daylight. Like we're going to be in the swamp all night. Um, and it, it was going to be brutal, but at least going into the swamp, the cold water would have kept the swelling on my knees down. And I could have like walked and probably made it through. I still probably would have gotten a no-go because the mission had been a disaster, but Instead, for the third night in a row, there was lightning lockdown. And in 1995, uh, a few Rangers had died because they weren't able, Ranger students had died. They sent in the helicopter to do a jungle penetrator extraction, and they couldn't. The Ranger instructors down there, the guys were, had hypothermia, they were cold. And because of the fog, they were not able to get them extracted. And they died. by the time they did, they died. Um, and so ever since then, whenever there's lightning or anything that's going to keep the aircraft from flying, like fog, they just say, we're not going in the swamp tonight. And so um, that happened uh, almost every night of that final um, week that I was there. I mean, we did do some swamp movements during the day, but we didn't do like the classic like storybook night movements where you're like, where the hell am I? I can't see anything. My NBG, my night goggles barely have, you know, and I'm like trying to not fall down on these tree stumps and I'm in, you know, chest high water and stuff. So um, we didn't get to do that. What we did instead was walk each night about 10 to 15 kilometers to our patrol base. So we would walk around the swamp. And that night when my knees were blowing up and I could barely walk, um, it was just a disaster. I'll, I'll, I'll stop the ranger school story here because I mean, I basically limped until I couldn't limp and I was shamed by all the, I, as I fell back, my buddy who I told you about earlier singing the cadence, he happened to be in my platoon and him, he was like, Hey man, as I fell back it towards his squad, I'm falling back out of the column. He's like, Hey man, hang in there. You can make it. You got to make it. I'm like, I'm like, bro, I can't even walk. Like I can't even bend my knees. So I limped and limped and limped. And I kept telling myself, don't ring the bell. That's the Navy seal thing where if you go to buds and you quit, you got to go like ring the bell to say, I quit in ranger school. They call it LOM, it, which stands for lack of motivation. So it's actually a verb there. Um, are you going to LOM? And so many guys are like, we talk about it all the time, you know, in mountains and wherever it, from the beginning, we're like, man, I just want to LOM. This is awful. But we had almost made it through. I just kept telling myself, don't LOM, at least maintain that shred of dignity. And I did, but it was only after uh, staff sergeant who will not go named that I will never forget his name um, started yelling, hey, give me four Rangers with a set of balls to carry this Rangers gear. And so four guys who had their own 80 ish pounds on pulled out a field litter. They unfolded it, uh, which, you know, is a, stre a stretcher with handles on it. And I had to put my, uh, my rucksack and I think I still carried my weapon, but I, it was like 80 pounds that they had to. So now we're on these Sandy like trail. These, I mean, there are roads through the woods, but it's all sand. It's, it's, it was horrible. So every step you take is harder work. And these guys are just sucking. And they're like, of course, they're cussing me out the whole time. And finally, there I was like, you know, that's it. Get put this guy in the truck. He's done. And, you know, the next morning I got told and there was more even that happened after that, where he came and yelled at me again and made me carry my pack another half mile stuff that would nowadays get someone relieved. Um, but, you know, he was an old school old school ranger instructor. And so the next morning, my, my, the guy who had been grading me said, 
Ranger, uh, that was the worst patrol I've ever seen. And he said, I think you should re I think you need to reevaluate your calling as an infantryman. I'd been in ROTC for four years and I had been commissioned for almost a year and I was getting ready to go to Iraq and I knew it. And to show up to your platoon without a Ranger tab in an infantry unit, especially the one that I was going to the third brigade of the 101st airborne division, the Rakasans, it was like, you don't want to show up there without a Ranger tab. Uh, as a lieutenant, you really need to get that thing before you go, especially in a combat zone, because you're going to show up and your guys are going to be like, oh, great, this guy couldn't make it through ranger school. How's he going to lead me through? Because the platoon that I ended up in in June of 03, um, when I got there a month after ranger school graduation, because I did make it, I recycled again. I got peered again and I got, had a knee surgery. I limped around for six weeks and got fat. I chipped my cheeks. And then the second time through Florida was a lot easier and I peered okay and I got to go and it, I was helping my squad mates. And I finally was like the student that I, that I wanted to be. There was one mission in particular where I was a met, the platoon medic, which is not a graded position, but everybody kind of pulls that. And I was helping guys and actually doing what a medic does, not just carrying the aid bag. Like I was going around and like trying to help guys, you know, tend to their wounds because I, the little small Nick cuts on my knee had led to cellulitis and I didn't want them to you know, get hurt and I have to go through what I had just gone through. And so I really felt like I was doing a good job um, and graduated and was able to hold my head up. But I will tell you that that Ranger School experience stuck with me, not only through my platoon leader time when I got to Iraq a month later as a rifle platoon leader, like something out of a Vietnam movie, airborne wings and a Ranger tab. And I got my rucksack and my duffel bag and I drop them and the platoon sergeant grizzled old guy who had joined uh, from Staten Island, who had joined in 1987, I think, in the 82nd Airborne Division when he was like 17 years old, um, was the classic 1980s, 1990s, um, pre 9-11 non-commissioned officer. And I was blessed to have him, but boy, it was rough that summer because we had this one uh, night where um, he had done something to challenge my authority, like very publicly. And it was, it was over the top. And I like, I basically wrote down a counseling statement and was like, and we're friends now, by the way, like I prayed at his retirement when I was a chaplain later and he went on to, to be a silver star recipient, which actually was approved for a distinguished service cross, which I won't go into because there's a lot of politics in that one inside the beltway. And suffice it to say, this guy is the real deal. And um, he had a titanium leg, for God's sake. He had burned in on a jump because an officer, of course, stole his air. Uh, and he uh, burned in from like 70 feet. <laughs> but he managed to come back and could run. I mean, he was amazing. So, uh, but we had this, this standoff one night outside the barracks. And, you know, the guys were probably listening to. Um, we were in these old Iraqi abandoned, like basic training barracks type things uh, that we had modified for the purposes of being there. These guys had hopscotched all the way through Iraq to get to Northwestern Iraq. And I got there after they'd done all the air assault missions through Al-Hala and Baghdad. Uh, they got in a bunch of firefights and, you know, and now we were in a pretty quiet area. So, uh, but in the first six weeks, like, like we really, and the reason I'm going to this is because here came the shame back from 90 days earlier when that ranger instructor told me, like, you talk about a second guessing yourself. It was like, this is a make or break moment in my leadership. Like if I don't stand up to him on this and hold the line, I will lose all credibility um, for myself, for my command, for the guys, because they saw what he did. And so I call him on it. And then we just had this kind of like, it wasn't a shouting match, but we, it was very, it was very heated discussion. He said, sir, why are you here anyway? And I said, well, I'm a platoon leader. I'm here to lead. And he said, no, you're not. You're here to learn. You're here to learn how to be a company commander. And 
after that night, and nobody had ever told me that it was always, you're supposed to be no do. Like I was saying in the last episode, follow me. Iron Mike is the, the famous statue down at Fort Benning. Uh, an infantryman with his rifle in one hand with the bayonet on and his other hand, he's like coming up out of the fighting position and leaning forward, like follow me. And um, after that, he, he like, we, we ended up working out fine, but I'm telling you, that was a scary moment. And even throughout my twenties, I kept coming back to you. I didn't deserve to graduate Ranger school because I had been peer, like I should have been kicked out. Honest to God, I should have been a day one recycle or I should have been kicked out. I, to this day, I have no idea why they didn't kick me out of the school uh, because I had basically failed everything. I had my goes to get through to Florida, but um, it, it was bad. And, and, and I think under any other circumstance, I, I still don't know why. I don't know if my squad went in and just said, Hey, this guy's not a piece of crap. He just fell out physically or, or what happened. But whatever reason, luck, fate, you know, divine providence, whatever it was. Um, I ended up with my ranger tab. Uh, and the shame was so much so that almost a decade later, when I was sent back there as a chaplain to be a chaplain in the first phase at Fort Benning, like I went into the vault. They have this vault at the brigade headquarters where people will call in and tab check people all the time because people will wear a ranger tab that they didn't earn it or a badge that they didn't earn. So people will call in every day to that brigade office the operations guys and they would have to go in this vault like a bank vault it was amazing and you can look up every single ranger qualified guy who ever attended the course whether they graduated or not there was um colin powell you know like you name it like david petraeus you pick you pick anybody uh that's ever gone and uh so you know it, it i i went in there and actually looked up my I, like I had to get my blue card or my yellow card, whatever it was, and just verify, like, did I actually earn this? Like, it was so, the shame was so bad. I actually convinced myself that maybe I didn't, like, I didn't deserve to be there. I was, I was doing this imposter syndrome stuff. And, you know, while I was in that assignment, I made the mistake of, um, the, the army's a very vain culture. It's not like the Marine Corps where you, most guys really don't wear their badges. It just, just says, last name in U.S. Marines, because every Marine is a rifleman, whether they're a cook or they're a, a aviator or a grunt, you know, like my dad was in Vietnam. And so there's this thing called the senior parachutist rating where, you know, you get your airborne wings, but then when you become a jump master, which is the guy who, or gal who inspects the parachutes and then is in charge on the aircraft of everyone exiting safely, um, I was able to attend that school while I was at this assignment and it was like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm a jump master. But even then it was like, I had, when I passed that course on the, the first day of testing, which was like, it was only me and one other guy that passed. I was like, I didn't really deserve that because afterwards something was bothering me. And I was like, I didn't really deserve that because he had like done something where like, I didn't miss any of the major violations, but I technically could have, should have been um, minored out, but I, it's like I was always sabotaging everything good that happened to me because of all because of that previous thing. It was like, you're full of crap. And that was shameless. It was shameless. Like I had allowed the embarrassment of the mistakes to take over uh, to the point that Gil, that year, we're talking years later, Gil would be like every little thing that that Barry would send him. He'd be like, look, 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 see. And it was a reinforcing self-fulfilling prophecy. So while I was there, I had this jump master uh, graduation. Then I started chasing, that's what it's called, uh, the senior parachutist rating, where you get a little star on top of your wings to show everyone that you're a jump master, because otherwise nobody knows you're a jump master. And it's so vain. 
And I was so excited about it that I got my 30th jump and I didn't double check the regulation. And on the drop zone, jumped out of a UH-60 Blackhawk, landed on the drop zone. And there was Colonel Ralph Puckett, who was just upgraded to the Medal of Honor, two-time Distinguished Service Cross recipient. And then one of them was just, um, President Biden awarded it to him a year ago, I think last week. This guy is a legend. He was a Ranger Company commander as a second lieutenant in Korea. He uh, did, and then he was a battalion commander uh, in Vietnam of a battalion that I was later the chaplain for. I mean, this guy's, and, and he's like 90 some years old. He still shows up to every single Ranger graduation every day one when the guys are taking the PT test and stuff. He's out there like in the pitch dark. He's, he's a phenomenal guy. So everyone's like, hey, hey, have Colonel Puckett pin your wings on. I'm like, cool, cool. And they were like paparazzi, you know, and taking pictures. And there's this war hero who I idolize. I had had him speak it. I had him speak at one of my prayer breakfasts while I was there. He's just an amazing guy. And he pinned on my senior wings. Then I went back and filed the paperwork and the operations. The air NCO came to me and said, hey, sir, I'm really sorry, but uh, you actually don't have enough time on jump status to get awarded this. And oh my God, this has bugged me for years. Um, I am so ashamed. I talked earlier about people wearing uh, something that they didn't earn. Um, I had only worn it, I think that one day or maybe when the following day, I don't remember, but like it, it stuck with me. Um, and I feel so guilty about that. And even when I did get enough months on jump status at my next unit, you know, I had to come back to my commander later and say, hey, you know, really technically, like I didn't have the night jumps. I, I got credit for a night jump when the sun was still like just barely above the horizon. And it counted because the aircraft landed after after sunset or whatever. But it was one of those things where it was like, why am I rushing to get this? I, 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 I'm seeking all this stuff from other people. I'm seeking all this validation, all this praise uh, from everywhere else except for myself. And I can blame that on, you know, my college prep upbringing, my, you know, wonderful ROTC department at Ohio University. I can blame it on the uh, Benning School for Boys, as we called it. It's Benning School for Boys and Girls now because there are female infantry, infantrymen, um, infantry officers, infantry uh, soldiers, now ranger qualified ones at that. And, um, but I can blame all those things, but the reality is I, I don't even need to blame myself. I just need to accept it. And accept that I've made those mistakes. Because if I don't do that, then Gil is going to bury me. And he's going to bury me by way of alcohol. He was trying. Because there's more to the story with the Army stuff. Later on, um, while I was in that, and while I was in 3rd Ranger Battalion, um, my last assignment on active duty, an extremely prestigious assignment, um, it's the, the unit from the movie and book Black Hawk Down. And these guys have jumped into combat in Afghanistan. Like they're just, I mean, these guys are larger than life. Like I was there as their chaplain, not as an assaulter. Okay. Like I was in good enough physical shape to just get in the unit, but, but I was by no means like, <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between Ranger school and the Ranger regiment, a big difference. Like you can go to the, and make it through the school, but still not qualified to get in the regiment. So it was the, highlight of my, I, again, I was like, oh my God, I've arrived. You know, this is great. It's what I've been looking forward to ever since I felt called to ministry. Um, felt like a validation of all those previous infantry experiences and stuff. But um, when I was there, uh, we had this change of heart theologically. I was a Protestant chap. I was endorsed and ordained by a Protestant denomination, but we 
for reasons that I won't go into, we became, we were like, oh my gosh, we think we're Catholic. And so as a matter of, I thought it was just a midlife crisis. I thought it was just me being a drama king or me just looking for an excuse to, to quit the bullet train. I had been in four different battalions in 39 months when I, I went back on active duty, including, and by the 42, by the 48 month mark, by the 40 some month mark, I had had two deployments. We had had another kid, another son. And when I was home on mid tour leave from my long tour. And then at about the four year mark, actually, we were pregnant with our third son. And that was a disastrous pregnancy. And so there's all this going on at the same time, we're like having this theological change of heart. And so I, um, I got out and I'm just realizing, guys, if I told any of this on the previous episode uh, eight, where uh, Ashley Hassan interviewed me, I, I apologize. And I thank you guys for bearing with me on this, because this is kind of cathartic. This is kind of an important moment for me to get out some of this really embarrassing stuff. I don't think I went this deep um, because these are the things that I'm ashamed of um, and I don't need to be. And it's taken me several years to realize uh, to be post army by five years and to be at this 20 year anniversary today. Like I'm trying to not choke up because I've been dreaming about it this week. Uh, my, my peers are retiring and my peers are eligible to retire like this weekend, like Monday, I think will be the technical actual um, calendar day, but this is Saturday, first Saturday of June, 2002. Commission on active duty. I'd be retiring now, but I got out as a captain because I left the uh, chaplaincy. I came back to being an infantryman in the Ohio National Guard, Ohio Army National Guard. And the very first morning in my unit, I was offered a company command. Basically, I mean, it, the formal offer wasn't made till about a week later. Then I prayed about it, but of course I didn't. It was no. I that is what I had given up to become a chaplain. So I was like, wow, it's coming full circle. Look, I've got this opportunity to spend a couple of years transitioning out with healthcare, with some cheap healthcare. It had really worked for us when I was in seminary in the California National Guard and I was non-deployable. But as soon as I took command, we, our unit came on orders to go to the Middle East for a military police type mission. It wasn't a, it was an infantry unit, but uh, really we were going to be checking people's IDs at special operations compounds, which I had encountered these guys, these National Guardsmen um, on my own trip to Afghanistan with the Rangers. And so um, we were going to be doing stuff like that in, in Jordan and the United Arab Emirates. And I realized like, you know, Addie and I were at a place where we really weren't speaking. Things were, things were rough because there were all these transitions. It was like the disastrous pregnancy. And, you, you know, I mean, I, I go into it. it was just, she suffered so much. And then we got out and this change of faith. We left the community that we had. We came home. I left being a chaplain to be an infantryman again. I was no longer a minister. I was a lay person. I mean, it was like, five or six major life transitions at once. And I should not have accepted that command. Um, it was, it was a mistake, but I didn't, I didn't compound mistakes uh, because a few months into the command, well, I did make a big mistake in it because I, I relinquished command um, and I didn't really talk to Addy about it. I had this moment of panic where I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to lose, you know, my family, which is what I had always counseled people. Uh, don't sacrifice your your family on the altar of your career, but it's exactly what I was doing. And um, it was the right decision, but I went about it in a very, very hurtful way. Um, and so <sighs> relinquished, I, I pulled my guys, my 150 or so guys on the drill weekend, um, five, four or five years ago, whatever it was. And I pulled them into what's called a horseshoe formation, you know, instead of standing in their platoons, and say, hey guys fall out, fall in a horseshoe around me. And I told them, 
that um, this was the hardest but but simplest decision I'd ever had to make, and that I couldn't be there, that I wasn't going to be their commander um, for the deployment, that I was going to actually get out, um, that I was going to resign my commission, or that I was going to like just finish out my time um, stateside and, and get out. And I I told them it feels like treason. It's an officer, a commander, and a ranger. It felt like treason. But as a husband and a father, um, I needed to be able to look myself in the mirror for the rest of my life and know that I didn't that I didn't do something just to get another plaque on the wall, like, you know, to be able to hang it over there. We called it the I love me wall in the army where you put all your awards and all your unit. Um, it just the, when you leave a unit, you usually get as a leader, you usually get like a farewell gift. And it's like the unit colors and some coins and a plaque and stuff. So um you know, I wasn't, I, I told him, I was like, I'm not going to be that guy that um, I just realized I've got a towel here. Like this is like my swimming towel with sharks on it. I love it. Squirrel. Sorry guys. Like um, anyway, I, I, it just was disastrous. And I really allowed Seamus to, to narrate what it means. Uh, I've, it doesn't really mean anything except what I attach to it. I, again, I could try to blame the army. I can try to blame all kinds of conditioning, but the reality is, I think that I only have to assign whatever meaning to it I assign to it. And it takes time to deprogram from things like something you did for half of your adult life uh, when you got out. I'd spent 18 and a half years in uniform when I got out when I was 37. And so here I am at age 42, five years later, just now, but I mean, just the last several years has just been one thing after another, my civilian jobs, like were supposed to be a great fit, but you know, at Lowe's, I was called spaz on the sales forum, rightfully so, um, because I was treating things like they were combat. I was like, so wound up. And then I left there to run a soup kitchen for our church. And I, my fight or flight was activated every day. And I was like a high I was just a hot mess. And then I got assaulted while I was there and I had my jaw broken. Blah, blah, blah. It was like a bad country song. That was the week after I crashed my car. I mean, it was, it was terrible. Like I think you totally car, get your face punched in, you know, it was, it was rough. And then, um, you know, over the last couple of years, I just, I, the drinking, I was using drinking to cope with all of that. It started with the embarrassment of ranger school, um, which really, could have, should have just been embarrassment. But even then I started to feel guilty. Like I don't really deserve this. I started listening to Gil in my twenties. So whatever embarrassments that I had in my early life, I was able to recover from because it was like good praise. I didn't really screw up anything of significance. But when I started to fail my, my brothers in my squads at ranger school, and it, there were no female students at the time. Um, like I, I started failing people or what I, what I told myself was failure. You know, they were just, they were weak moments. I was not a unique Ranger student. There were plenty of Ranger students who got there and were, thought they would do great and then either quit or got kicked out or whatever. Um, guys that you're like, oh my God, I can't believe he quit. Or, or I can't believe that guy, you know, did that on that patrol. That, that was me. And so I, again, there's this, this sick kind of pride to it. It's like, almost like you, I, I learned how to start wallowing and it was all wrapped up in this self-effacing, like all shucks thing that I would do because I was embarrassed about my first name when I was a kid. I, it's a girl's name in the eighties or whatever. And like, so what, right. And even if it is, so what, um, but you know, you internalize things like that as a kid and then, you know, you develop complexes over it and you don't really need to. And that's it. Hopefully I'm going to be able to 
um, you know, along with Addie, train our boys to, to not listen to the voices that come in like Barry and like, oh my God, you should be so embarrassed about that. Well, you know what? You can be embarrassed for a little bit and say, gosh, I, you know, feel your face flush and let yourself feel it. But then you just like tell Barry to go away. Like Barry's probably always going to come in, but you don't have to let Gil in. When you listen to Barry enough, Gil's like, like I said, last episode, Gil shows up and he's like, Hey, I hear you guys talking. Why don't I just chime in with my two cents or my $2 and my whatever. Uh, Cause he says way more than, than he needs to kind of like me wordy bastard Gil. Um, anyway. And so when you listen to both of them enough, then the chairman starts coming and Seamus is like, ah, he like wraps the gavel and he's like, you know, like, it's like, sorry, like, you know, don't, don't like the law and order. Like I call this, I call this committee to a meeting and they've got a quorum and off they go. Uh, and Seamus is really trying to deliver that knockout punch where he's like, you didn't just screw up once or a bunch of times you screwed up so much that you failed as a person. And once you start listening to that, he is going to stay inside your head until you either have something dramatically happen in your life, someone that you trust is able to help pull you out of it, or you by a Herculean effort. Again, if you, if you're able to do this, my hat's off to you. Um, but I was not able to, uh, it took me, unfortunately drinking myself into a place where I, Ironically, it was, you know, marriage was wrecked because of me and, you know, hardly wife and I hardly speaking. And like, I didn't have to do all that. I didn't have to, but it was all the stories that I was telling myself and telling myself that other people were telling about me, even though they weren't like when I relinquished that command, I could not have received more support from my unit. People were kind of like, oh my God, like it must be serious if this ranger, you know, like is is quitting because Rangers don't quit. And I was almost like, yell at me, tell me I'm a piece of crap because that's all that's in my head and almost made it worse that they were kind about it. Um, so it, it, all along, I'm like, oh, they're just being nice. They're just being nice. They actually think you're a piece of crap. And, and it's not the case. And even if they did, it doesn't matter. And these are the things that we know, right? We know these things in our head. We know they're theoretically true. But because of that sick pride, we don't know it here in our, in our gut, in our heart, or wherever you feel the bleh, right? We don't know it there. We don't really believe it. And it takes other people to come in and tell you things when you've been drinking. When you, because all that the drinking does is just speed up the cycle. And it just keeps that committee in session. And James is like, hey, as long as you let it ride, because our neural pathways are secure, like the brain, you know, is, is it likes familiarity. I'm no neuroscientist, but from what I've learned and just looking back on my own life, your brain is lazy and likes to do what it's used to doing and getting out of those traps, getting out of that guilt bin and getting out of, getting out of the committee meeting into the guilt bin and out to the, just to the ledger or whatever, or just to the, just the meeting notes, uh, the minutes of the meeting, or just saying, screw you guys, screw you guys, I'm going ham. Like, I'm, you know, going to just exit, uh, exit this committee meeting and, you know, go out the back door or whatever. Uh, you're going to need some help in doing that. Um, I hate to, I hate to tell you, <laughs> like, like, I'm the constant guy that like, you know, the Ranger Creed says, you know, I will all shoulder, shoulder more than my share of the task, whatever it may be, 100% and then some. And then it um, closes by saying, 
you know, readily will I display the intestinal fortitude required to fight it onto the ranger objective. And um, I will always accomplish a mission, the mission, though I be the lone survivor. Rangers lead the way. I, I butchered some of it. Sorry, like I'm rusty. I didn't, I haven't recited it lately. So apologies to my ranger qualified uh, brothers and sisters out there who are listening to this. But uh, again, I, I was ashamed of forgetting. I went to uh, speak at a friend's nonprofit and I was talking about ranger culture. And I was like, here's the ranger creed. And I got in the middle and I like had this ADHD moment. And I actually said, I was like, did I already say that? Wait, did I already say gallantly? Will I, will I display or whatever the, you know, the fourth stanza is. And I started over and I've spent years since then, like that'll come back. Gil brings that up. He's like, oh, look at you, dude. You couldn't even remember the ranger creed. It's like, only a couple hundred words and you choked, you know, meanwhile, like I've been to so many places where even guys in the Ranger regiment, like had a, Oh, they, like, they had a stage fright moment and they, and they, you know, stumbled over the words. They, they reversed a word or something. Oh my God, blasphemy. You know, it's like a, it's like this Holy prayer. I actually had a commander of the California national guard that every morning was like, he was like, chaplain, we're going to pray. And it was like, ready. All right, let us pray. <laughs> recognizing that I volunteer as a ranger, fully knowing the hazards of my chosen profession <laughs> and pray the whole thing. And then he would say like, amen. <laughs> and it's just the, the, the conditioning. Oh God, I just hit my button. That's so cheap. Mike, it's like, <laughs> again, perfectionist. I'm like, Oh my God, my podcast, the first episode. I, Oh my God, poor Vonda. Her audio is terrible. And it's just, just like Dana, shut up. Like but not, but I'm trying to say it. It's not me telling me to shut up. It's actually saying, Hey, Seamus, shut up. Hey, Gil, shut up. Hey, Barry, shut up. And there's little leaders back there. So I'll just say, you know, STFU, you know what I'm saying? Like, you just need to say that to them, but you're not going to be able to do it by yourself. And you need other people who can say it with you and say it for you um, so that they can tell you like, that is not your voice. That voice sounds like you because it's in your voice, but it is not your voice. It is something that, that your brain has come up with. And yeah, you may have started it, but it's not you. You create your identity. You are the one who um, defines what happens to you. These are all things that I was never taught. Or if I was taught, I didn't internalize them. And I won't go into the, the theological reasons why I think that's the case. Because even now I hear people that I know going like, tisk tisk. You know, Dana's, well, Dana's just doing the millennial thing. And, and, and again, forgive me, I've repeated myself on some, on, a, on some episodes, but this is the point. And that even is, I don't need to ask for forgiveness for that. Like, I should say, I'm repeating this because it's important. And because you're going to have to repeat these things to yourself over and over and over. And you're going to have to find yourself a small group of people that you trust and who trust you and who love you like family, no matter what you are. You're going to have to find a logical family. Like Nikita says, you've got your biological family, and then you've got your logical family who actually understands you because you were coping with things by drinking. And they understand the illogical nonsense that goes on in your brain when you're drinking and all of the reasons that we come up with to continue drinking, even though it makes it worse, even though we know what we're doing is making it worse. We do it anyway, because we know climbing out is going to be hard. And I'm just now at 107 days starting to feel like, okay, I think my brain is clearing a little bit. Like I had this thing happen yesterday. I posted a reel about it on Instagram where I'm applying for a veterans retreat and we didn't comply with some sort of pop. Like my wife wasn't allowed to fill it out with me. And then yesterday when I was taking the interview call, I was in the car with her 
And he's like, are you alone? Is your wife with you? I'm detecting a pattern here. Are you going to be able to separate yourself from your wife for this program? And like, I lost it on this dude. Like it was, it was, was like, are you kidding me? And, you know, normally 24 hours, it was 24 hours ago right now when I was like, I hung up and I was like, like, I mean, I was like every name you can think of my poor wife's like, why don't I drive? And so like we switched places like, I, she just knows. She just let me get it out. We were like on a mini date or something. It was like, come on, dude. Like, no, I'm not separating myself. Yes, I'm okay with separating myself from my wife, but right now I'm not. And if that's a requirement of your program, well then, you know, you can take your program and use it for the people who need it. And they're not bad guys and everybody has a bad day, but it was, but it was super unprofessional and kind of weird actually um, the way that they spoke to us, even in the aftermath when I texted them the this other guy was like hey i was hoping to work with you this other guy right here what he did is not okay and then he still was like defending what it was just it was weird something like that would normally even as i'm talking about it for one minute there i'm like my stomach starts to but you know what uh because i've learned some tools and i've actually practiced them somewhat and had people who've reminded me to practice them uh in a an inner circle text group that i have and with austin as my as my friend um She's my, she's my sister. These are all my sisters. They're my family, sober family, because my sober family's like, Hey, don't forget to do this. Don't forget. I know you don't want to right now, but don't forget to do this. And I had one of my, one of those sisters tell me this morning, you're doing great, Dana. And I told her, thank you. Um, I, I don't believe that yet, but I trust you because if I were saying that to her, like I would know it's true for her. Like I, I like I would be able to say that without any reservations whatsoever, because she does great. And I tell, and I tell her and the others in our group tell each other all the time, like, you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing great. And you got to have people in your life that aren't just yes, men and yes, women. They're telling it to you because they actually believe it because they want you to believe it because they don't want to see you suffer anymore because they're tired of watching you kick the living crap out of yourself. When you're a good person, I've never been able to say that I'm a good person, but you know what? I, I can at least say I'm not a bad person now. And I'm, I'm saying I'm a good person and I'm, I'm still uncomfortable saying that. I think I know that that's true, uh, but I, because of my conditioning, um, I don't know that it's true. And I'm going to reframe all this. Again, that's our reframe app, not sponsored by them, but I'm telling you, if you've got an iPhone, don't think they're out on Android yet. Uh, I could be wrong, but look them up or just look up an app of your choice and get some accountability even if it's just starting to log your drinks, even if you're just saying, I'm sober curious, I'm just going to log my drinks to see how many I drank in a week. I think you'll be surprised um, if you're anywhere close to the consumption that I was. And even maybe if you're just having a couple here, a couple there, you're not realizing how much they're adding up or you know, and you just don't want to like actually pay attention to it um, is a possibility. So, and if that's you, hey, 100% me was me. So even if you're sober curious, you can just get an app that helps you log drinks it helps you to, uh, it tells you how long you've long since your last drink or, um, you know, it, you can start there. You can start by making a ghost Instagram account and going on and finding the thousands. I think I'm following almost two, I'm coming up on 2000 accounts that I'm following that are somewhat related to sobriety or to mental health, uh, especially mental health and sobriety. There are thousands of accounts on Instagram that you can follow passively without posting a thing. You can just go follow them. You don't even have to request the majority of them. And even if you do, they'll probably, they'll probably add you if you message them and just say, Hey, I'm, I'm kind of a doing the lurker lurker thing, you know, not in a creepy way. <laughs> That's just a term we use on the, 
the Zoom calls for folks who dial in like I did and just listened and didn't say anything because they were ashamed, because I was ashamed. I was ashamed of the drinking I was doing during the calls. I was ashamed of the drinking I had done the previous day, the previous week, month, year. I was ashamed of all of the military so-called failures that I've told you about, moral failures and you know, integrity violations and things that I'm so like driving drunk and just the stuff that I'm like, how in the world have I done this? But I'm learning now to say I didn't deserve, like yesterday, I did not deserve to be treated like that. And normally when I texted the other guy to say, hey, this was, you know, this is what happened over here and that's not okay. Um, I would say, you know, I, I know it probably seems like I'm overreacting because I'm so hyper, but I didn't say that. I, 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 that was a big, that was a, that was an important moment for me because I don't need to apologize for who I am. And, you know, like when Austin leaving the, the, the podcast, I don't mean to draw a, a huge amount of attention to it, but like she had said at one point, look, I just need to do this for me. And I don't have to explain myself to anyone because I had started it in my, like, I was trying to not pressure. I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm not, but I was pressuring her because I'm like, I know how to manipulate. And I was like, catch, I was catching myself. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry that I, that I'm still lapsing into trying to like make you do what I want you to do. But, but I know deep down that again, what she's doing is the right thing. And she has the courage to do that because it takes courage to say, I'm not going to do this. Saying no to something is way, way harder than saying yes. Right. It's, it's so easy to say yes to the previous ways of thinking about your drinking. It's so easy to continue to say yes to alcohol. If you're, if you're still drinking, um, it's so easy to just get on those neural, old neural pathways that they're hardwired in and you got to let them get overgrown and you got to distract your brain with other things. And it, the stuff that I'll hear is from the old voice. That's getting a little quieter, but it'll be like, yeah, you're just telling yourself what you want to hear. You're just trying to ignore the truth. The truth is you're, uh, you know, you're a manipulative monstrous sinner and you're whatever else. And all the, you know, I, I not, I don't qualify for the grace that I always preached and, you know, never practiced. So, uh, listen, I think that I'll close with this story. I, I saw it, um, on, uh, Instagram or Twitter. I think I actually saw it. We, we do have a Twitter. I'll just quickly shout out our social media accounts, uh, before closing. They're all, um, at IKAGB pod. It, that's for Instagram and for Twitter. Um, YouTube, you can just search for I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye, all typed out. Uh, and then I'm going to be working on some other accounts coming up, uh, I promise, at some point <laughs> when I don't start new jobs. But oh, yeah. And there's there's the current shame from this week. The current opportunity for shame in my week is I started a job at Taco Bell, like I mentioned in, in episode 16. I was jumping out of airplanes in the middle of the night with Rangers as a jump master. And I take people's money at Taco Bell now. And you know what? That's fine. It's fine. There, there does not have to be any shame in that. There really is no shame in that. But I guess the way I'll say that so it doesn't come out the, the cliche way is, or the, the, the idiom, the idiomatic type of way, <laughs> the idiotic idiomatic type way is like, well, there's no shame in that. Well, there, there's no reason for shame in that. And so I'm trying to reframe these things as, look, I've been looking for jobs you know, the Lowe's thing didn't work out. The soup kitchen thing didn't work out. The UPS and Amazon, Amazon things didn't work out because of, for all for various different reasons. And you know what? I've got a job that I texted my friend, my uh, wife and my friends, my, my text sisters 
uh, in Austin the other day, I texted him, this shit is fun. Like I just stand in the window and actually, ironically, my, my, um, isn't it ironic again, <laughs> Alanis is getting lots of, sh- <laughs> lots of cameos here in these two episodes, but uh, my boss from Amazon, like came through with his wife last night and they pulled away. Apparently they pulled away and she was like, man, that guy was nice. And, and he's like, he really reminds me of Dana. <laughs> so he texts me later. Hey man, how are you doing? And I was like, good. I started this job at Taco Bell. He's like, no way. Were you just working over here? I was like, yep. I totally helped you guys. I totally remembered his wife because she had these amazing nails. And I was like, you've got these nails. They're totally rad. And then I said, oh my God, I'm dating myself. Cause I said, they're totally rad. Uh, but okay. So <laughs> squirrels, um, shiny objects, IKAGB pod at Twitter on Twitter and on Instagram. Instagram's the main jam for this little podcast. Um, and my personal one is at I kissed alcohol goodbye, all spelled out. If you'd like to follow me there as well, I honestly post it on that one more and just tag it to the the uh, the pod account. But on Twitter today, um, I saw this story, and I think I've read this one before, heard it before, but um, it's called Maybe So, Maybe Not. We'll see. Um, and this was an article by a guy named Jay Mavani, M-A-V-A-N-I. I'm not sure which one he is on Twitter, but you can like find his handle somewhere on there. Um, he says, I'd never heard the story of a Chinese farmer, but when I did, it changed everything for me. And the story goes like this. A farmer and his son had a beloved horse who helped the family earn a living. One day the horse ran away and their neighbors exclaimed, your horse ran away. What terrible luck. And the farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. A few days later, the horse returned home, leading a few wild horses back to the farm as well. The neighbor shouted out, your horses returned and brought several horses home with him. What great luck. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. Later that week, the farmer's son was trying to break one of the horses and she threw him to the ground, breaking his leg. The neighbors cried, your son broke his leg. What terrible luck. The farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. A few weeks later, soldiers from the National Army marched through town, recruiting all boys for the army. They did not take the farmer's son because he had a broken leg. The neighbor shouted, your boy is spared. What tremendous luck. To which the farmer replied, maybe so, maybe not. And I was thinking that last one, he was going to say, you're right. See, all things work for good in the arm. There's a reason for everything or whatever, you know, biblical or popular culture, pop culture uh, application you want to apply there. No, he still said, maybe so, maybe not. And so Jay Mavani's commentary at the end says, it really, it is really impossible to tell whether anything hap- that happens is good or bad. You never know what the consequences of misfortune or good fortune will be as only time will tell the whole story. Things may look great at the start, but over time, it may not become what you would imagine it to be. Similarly, you feel bad about something, but someday it could be one of the best things that happened to you. Everything changes. The universe is ever-changing. There is no room for judgment, for nothing is truly black and white. And then he closes his article, uh, or the next part of the article before he continues on, and I won't read the whole thing. Uh, He quotes Max Ehrman who says, trust that the universe is unfolding as it should. And this goes along with the idea of the, the Tao, like the flow, you know, and again, I'm total, novice, total newbie layperson, just to the Tao Te Ching and other um, Eastern texts that are so helpful in getting us Westerners to like, l- let go, like, just let go for a minute, even just for a minute, just let go and just let your thoughts and emotions pass by like you're watching them and stop trying to control them. Stop having anxiety about being anxious and just be anxious. And you know what? Maybe the anxiety will go away a lot faster. It's this crazy idea that they came up with thousands of years ago, but we Americans think we got to reinvade everything. So I just wanted to close with that story. Um, 
you know, what, what is the meaning of this podcast? I have no idea. Um, was that experience yesterday uh, a good one or a bad one? I don't know. Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. It's like a, uh, there's this wonderful Arnold Lobel story in one of the uh, Frog and Toad uh, books. It's, it's actually the, the one that always scared me. It's called Shivers. And <laughs> they're like, Frog's telling Toad this story about um, like <laughs> where there's this monster, the, the great the great monster in the forest and they're like both shivering and frog and toad keeps saying frog is this story true and frog keeps saying maybe it is and maybe it isn't it's like so arnold lobel and um the uh original teller of the chinese farmer story thank you both uh because um was this a good episode maybe it was and maybe it wasn't um it's okay i want to thank you all for letting me pour out a lot of my life story to you uh for um, listening to just all this uh, stuff that I've been embarrassed, guilty, and uh, ashamed, ashamed of. And uh, what's the action step for getting the committee, itty bitty shitty committee out? Uh, you got to find somebody else. You got to find at least one other person. And I highly recommend a spirit animal. Thanks, Al. I'm going to give Al a claw bump, like I usually do. Um, and he is my buddy. And you got to find some people uh, so that you can. So that you can, but the ultimate goal is to find yourself. Um, you know, you, you discover that, man, I was, I just want to stop drinking because it's having all these deleterious effects on my life. But the reality is that the journey is actually inside yourself to find out who you are, that you were using alcohol, uh, or sorry, that I was at, that I was using alcohol uh, to mask who I really am. I think I'm afraid of the person that I am because I've got so much goodness in here so much that I want to give, so much that I want to do. And there are so many things that I am proud of that I should be prouder of. I mean, I'm trying to not should on myself, but that I could be prouder of. So I'll could on myself. How's that? I could be prouder of so many things from my past. And even those supposed failures that I share with you here, um, the fact that I didn't quit, that I haven't quit. I haven't quit on life. Um, I had a friend tell me, uh, a new friend tell me, it's like, man, you've been through so much. And maybe I said this on the last episode, but I'll say it again. He said, um, you've been through so much. I'm, you know, I feel like you're strong and I would have quit by now. And I, he's a strong dude. So I don't think you would have, but I understand what he's saying. Like, that's something that I would say to somebody else, but that I would not give to myself. So if you're listening to this, you're still listening to this ramble, uh, this monologue, then I want to say, thank you. I want to say, I love you. I want to say, thanks for being my sober family. Even if you're just sober curious, and this is the first time that you've ever had any interaction with me, um, just know that you're loved. We, we, it's, that's not some corny BS. Like, we actually love you, and we want you to know that you're not alone. So um, episode 18 will be coming up this week. I'm super excited to announce that some of those sisters that I was talking about in my text group are going to come, and we're going to have a big, like, Roundtable fun meeting. It's actually going to be, I think I'm going to call it mocktail, mocktail hour with the rock and reframers. Cause that's the name of our text group, the rock and reframers. And a few of uh, the ladies from that group are going to grace us with their presence. And we're going to have some mocktails and that's going to come out. Uh, the goal is this coming Wednesday night, which would be, I believe June 8th. So be on the lookout for that. In the meantime, again, if you can like rate and review, share this little podcast to, so that somebody who needs it, uh, might be able to, um, to be blessed by it. Uh, you can check us out on our YouTube channel. I kissed alcohol goodbye, and please subscribe there. 
uh, that helps our reach and you know the algorithms and whatnot. And then if you'd like to support us, you can go to uh, the hosting uh, site for my podcast here, which is available on anchor.fm or through Spotify. You can um, sponsor the podcast because uh, it's free. And I don't ever see this being anything but free. This is pro bono because we want to do just to do good. Just want to do some good here. Uh, I love you all. Uh, Al and I will close as we always do by saying goodbye alcohol and hello life. Peace. We will see you next time here on I Kissed Alcohol Goodbye.